turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Life of Influence isn't achieved overnight. It's, it's built through consistent application of wisdom and hard work. In my brand new book, 120 Minutes to Live Big, I provide you with 120 bite-sized nuggets of insights on practical topics such as marriage and finances, as well as wisdom for personal growth and leadership development. Then I ask you some very penetrating questions to help you reflect and apply what you've learned. This book will stimulate self-examination and provide fuel for personal transformation. The best thing about it is I'm offering this book to you absolutely free. That's right. A free copy of 120 Minutes to Live Big mailed to you as a gift. I'll also give you 30-day access to my Growth Lab, a program designed to help you grow from good to great, mediocre to extraordinary, from small to to big. It's my prayer that this gift leaves you with a burning desire to be better and become everything that God wants you to be. So if you want to live a life that overflows and blesses others, this gift is just for you. Claim your free book and, and get uh, your free 30-day access to my growth lab. To do that, all you have to do is visit dgmfree.com. That's dgmfree.com. You were made to think big, do big, Welcome to Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer. We're glad you decided to join us today. Remember, you can get access to this message and a full library of teaching from Dr. Greer at gracechurchva.org. As we dive deep into the Word of God, we believe that it changes us and empowers us to think big, do big, and live big. This type of living will not only impact our lives, but will inevitably bless others. So our hope is that this broadcast inspires you to live big. Here's Dr. Greer. Today I've titled our Bible study, It's Not What I Do, But How I Do what I do. Amen. It's not what I do, but how I do those things that I, I do. We're not going to do it directly, but we're going to discuss some very, very foundational terms in the Christian faith. Two terms that most of you are aware of, particularly if you've been around here for, for more than a day. And they're terms that are often used interchangeably. And many, many times people think they're really the same thing, but the reality is there's about a thousand miles between the two terms. And if you misunderstand the terms, uh, you can uh, uh, be heading toward a, a level of, uh, I don't want to say destruction, but, but certainly uh, you can miss success uh, on your journey with God. And the two terms are obedience and what? Submission. There you go, see? <laughs> obedience and what? Submission. Okay. Obedience is what? Doing the right thing. But what is submission? It's a huge difference. Yes, it's doing the, you've been listening. Doing the right thing with the what? Right attitude. Many religious folk are very, very obedient. And they're surprised when God doesn't answer prayer. They're surprised when, 
you know, their life is not impacted by their faith the way they, they thought it would be. Because after all, they, they attend church. Perhaps they're tithers. Uh, you know, they follow the Ten Commandments. They're faithful and, and all the ordinances and all the things they think they should do. But the problem often is not what they do, but how they do the things they do. Amen. Are you tracking with me? In the Old Covenant, Moses and the inspired writers, what did they emphasize? Obedience. But in the New Covenant, the emphasis changed. We are still to obey, but the emphasis is no longer just what? Obedience. But it's obedience with what? The right attitude. Submission. The Bible says in James, maybe chapter 4, verse 7. What does it say? Does anyone remember? Because we, we taught on this maybe about six months ago. Does anyone remember? Okay. The Bible says, submit to God. Resist the devil. Hear what? Many people think that that passage says obey God. No, it says what? Submit to God. Submitting to God is not just being obedient, it's doing the right things with what? The right attitude. If you do not do the right things with the right attitude, in the spiritual realm, you will find yourself weakened. You will find yourself without power. You can scream to the top of your lungs, I bind you, devil, I loose you, devil. You can do that all day long. You can get friends to join you in your announcements of binding and loosing. But if you don't have the right attitude in your heart, it'll profit you what? Nothing. Only thing you're going to do is lose your voice uh, in the process. Today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And um, we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture that all of us should be familiar with. Even people that don't profess faith in Christ uh, often have uh, been made aware of this passage because of the poetry and, and basically the truth uh, in, in the passage. In 1 Corinthians 13, now, Paul up to this point in the book of Corinthians has been dealing with problems, dealing with issues. They've been wrongly used in the spiritual gifts and in former Bible studies. We've discussed this. And in chapter 13, he begins with a healthy dose of sarcasm. And Paul does this. Now, you know, uh, sarcasm at the wrong time can be evil and wrong. But Paul is dealing with some high minded folk, folk full of pride. And he knows how to speak their language. And uh, he begins with, again, some some biting sarcasm here. In verse one, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, I can quote, I have a dream better than Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, you have uh, an eloquence about you. You know, you have such a golden tongue. You, you can have conversation with angels. Please get the sarcasm to understand the import of what Paul is saying. Though you speak in the tongues of men, in the tongues of angels, but have not what? Love, but have not what? I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. How was that statement intended to strike the initial hearers? It was supposed to be a a cold glass of water in the face there. He's dealing with high-minded folk that were exercising spiritual gifts. One felt that they were superior to the next because they had this gift and the other had that gift. So he's kind of throwing water on the whole thing, saying, guys, you've missed the whole boat. If you do the right things, exercise the right gifts, but with the wrong spirit and motivation, it profits you what? Nothing. He says here, but have not what? Love. I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Basically, a sound without without soul. You are simply a bunch of noise. You can speak in tongues till Jesus come back. But if you don't know how to treat your family and relatives, all you're doing is making what noise. Isn't this an appropriate weekend to teach us a message? Because if there's ever a time and I, you know, when I'm around, my family's good. By the way, my family's in the first row. The point is, if you ever need love, it's in this season. 
because we have long-standing arguments with family members. Things that is, you know, we haven't resolved in 10, 15 years. Now we're seated around a table. It's been a high-pressure week, and people have traveled. Uh, people are cooking. You're stuck in, in a place where you have five, six, seven people. You're not sleeping in, in your regular quarters. And in that setting, it, it can make for some volatile circumstances. But, you know, if you attend church every Sunday, you, you're doing all these wonderful high things in the spirit. The real measure of your walk with God is not the tongues, the visions. It's not the supernatural gifts. But it's how you walk out your life uh, in the midst of uh, family and the rest. It's, it's, it's walking in love in uh, sometimes stressful circumstances. Then he goes on to verse 2. If I have the gift of what? Prophecy. I mean, you could open your mouth and accurately speak for God. I mean, when you speak, they hear from heaven. I mean, you, you can do this thing. You got the scriptures nailed. You know exactly what to say. But Paul says here, if I have the gift of prophecy... And can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, your revelation is on the level of the the early apostles. And if I have faith that can move mountains, you lay hands on people, God heals them. People come to you, you pray for them, you get answers to prayer. But have not love, I am what? Nothing. All that spirituality. God looks at it and it says, nada, zilch. What's the German for? For zero. Null, Nike. Give me some others. What you got in your language? Niete. What? Well, you get the point. Nothing. So all of that spiritual exercise ends up in God's eyes being zilch. Totally nothing. But if I have not love, I'm what? Nothing. God calls your works and your walk a zero. That's serious. All that church attendance. All that given, all that memorizing scripture. But if you can't love your neighbor, God calls all that zero. It's so easy to get confused between works and a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flame. Now, this is serious stuff. But have not love, I gain what? Nothing. I mean, this is a person given sacrificially, but sometimes the motivation could be pride. Sometimes you can die because you simply want to make a point. But if your motivation is not the higher good for the onlookers, if it's all about you in your deeds and your acts, it says here you gain what? Nothing. So far, if I speak, if I have, if I give, if you do all those things, but if you don't have the right attitude, you've done absolutely nothing in the eyes of God. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of these holidays are not times for you just to get away from church. This is the measure of everything you say, you know, through the course of the year. When you sit across the table from that sibling that can't stand you, from that cousin that's jealous or envious of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the measure of your spirituality and your walk with God. I want to uh, before I go on to to the closing part, I want to talk quickly about God's arithmetic. And I want you to consider it as we go on uh, this holiday weekend. I think, we, yeah, we have it up there. I'm going to call it the grace formula, something that I believe the Lord dropped in my heart today. Grace is God's simple arithmetic. It's one of the first things you learn after you learn how to count is how to add and how to what? Subtract. God's grace, God's love, It's not really something so profound. Well, it is quite profound. 
But in its basic form, it could be, you know, kind of boiled down to uh, some simple statements. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, he writes some statements there. But I want to even simplify it a little further here. So something that you can remember throughout this week. Love is simply adding value to people. Love is simply adding what? Value to people. Say that with me again. Love is simply adding what? Value to people. One more time. Love is what? Let's say in your mind, you have a relative and you've assessed this. You know this individual. And in a scale of one to ten, as you assess their character, I mean, honestly, you say that person's about a six. That's the truth. That's the facts. But the Bible says we have been saved by faith, faith by grace, forgive me, justified by grace. And the challenge is, the Bible says something very interesting. I have a scripture I want to read to you. And scriptures like this, by the way, mess me up. They, they really just, they, they make my days hard sometimes. Scripture says in Philippians 2, 1 through 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like minded. Forgive me. That's not on the screen. So Paul says he states a whole bunch of characteristics that we receive through our relationship with Christ. But then he says we're to be like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose with who? Jesus. You see, it's one thing if God told me to love people. I think I can handle that because my definition of love would probably be a little bit different than, than Christ. But the Bible says I'm to love my neighbor as myself. That's a tall order. The Bible says I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. I'm, I'm to, to, to forgive others as Christ has. For, that's a tall order. The standard of my love is not, you know, what my, my mom, dad think, what conventional wisdom says is the amount of love that I should eke out to folk. It's Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is when I was a zero, God saw me as a 10. Are you hearing me? While I was a sinner, Christ, what died for me? I had nothing to offer him. There was nothing wonderful. I was rebellious, angry, and everything else that can be listed. I was a zero, but God saw me as a 10. God did not lie to himself and say, I'm not a zero. God, by his grace, though, he added to me what I couldn't add myself. Are you hearing me? Grace is simply God's addition. When you're a zero, he makes you a 10. Graciousness. What's the root word? Grace. What does grace mean? What's what's the... Typical theological Sunday school definition of grace. Unmerited favor. Favor you what? Don't deserve. We're saved by what? Unmerited, unearned what? You are zero, but God gave you 10 points. Are you hearing me? Now, if God could do that with you and I, when we look across that Thanksgiving table, God says, listen, I'm God. I'm perfect. I mean, I've never sinned. You know, I, at this point, you know, Jesus at the right hand of the Father can't even be tempted with sin. He's perfection. Excellent beyond words. Holy. He's God. He bends down and forgives you and I. But then there you are. At your best. I mean, on a scale of one to ten, what are you really? I'm not going to call out numbers here. But if God as a ten, perfection could humble himself or or reveal his love to the extent that he would add 10 to a zero. What do you look like at that Thanksgiving table when you can't give someone two points, when you can't give someone four points? I mean, what? it's an offense to the heart and mind. God saying, I'm God, 
And if I would extend such how dare you, my creation, not do the same. And then lift holy hands on a Sunday calling me Lord. Are you hearing me? Grace is always adding value to people. Grace sees, you know, a homeless person. You're somebody. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Grace sees that twisted nephew, that twisted niece. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Love is always adding to people what they don't deserve. He said, I want to be like God. Well, you're going to have to be gracious. Being like God is not just memorizing scriptures. Being like God is uh, being gracious to those gods released in your life. Was that pretty clear? All right. Some simple arithmetic. What you know of the person and the grace that needs to be added in order for everyone in God's sight to be considered a perfect 10. The Bible goes on and Paul goes on and uh, he says, listen, without love, you're nothing. But then he says, listen, I don't want to leave this conversation, this dialogue or or my, my letter to you without explaining to you specifically and particularly what love really is. Because, again, I come up with my definition of love would be one thing. But he, the Holy Spirit did not want us to understand what love was. So he made very clear what his definition is. Verse four, he says, love is patient, bears up under offense. How patient do you need to be this week? As patient as the situation requires. If your relatives are six, well, it's off. You need to you need to fill in the blanks. If your relatives are three. You need to fill in the blanks. Okay, now forget about your relatives. What about your spouse? This goes beyond Thanksgiving. Come on. If your spouse is a four, you're going to have to fill in the six. It's called grace. Are you hearing me? And we cannot really get along in human relationships without the grace of God in our hearts and lives. Love is patient. It bears up under fence. How patient do we need to be? As patient as the situation requires. Say that again. As patient as the what? How patient do we need to be? Not as patient as I feel like being. Not as patient as I think I should be. But as patient as the situation what? Requires. So the situation is going to place demands on you. The situation is going to place requirements on you. Listen, I get tested on everything I preach. Now, not this week. It's when I go visit my own family. You know, I'm, I'm good here. But my own family, Chris, oh, my gosh. I need God's grace and help. But the reality is, what's all this preaching? What's all this teaching? If I can't love for that in my own, you know, my own family, my own kin. What's this all about? If I can't do the basics. Then it goes on. It says it does not envy. It has no petty feelings, in other words, and is not displeased at the success of others. How unpetty do we need to be? As unpetty as the situation requires. There you go. You're catching on. How unpetty do we need to be? As unpetty as the situation requires. There you go. Then he goes on. He says, love does not boast. The root word here in the Greek for boast is literally windbag. Anyone have any windbags in the fair? Okay. Any of y'all windbags? Yeah. In other words, love doesn't go on and on about you. Why did God give us two ears and one mouth? Because we're to listen twice as much as we speak. He says, love does not boast. It doesn't go on and on about just what's happening with you. It also listens. It is not what? Proud. You're more concerned about giving of yourself than asserting yourself. That's tricky. One of the most dangerous things you can be in your family is right. I always tell the story between me and my brother. 
it bears repeating. I had a conversation with him. He was sticking out his chest. And how dare my little brother stick out his chest like that to me. And the big brother stepped in. The Holy Ghost stepped out. And uh, before long, he hung up on me. And I was crying out to God, Lord, I was right. I was right. I know I was right. I was right. And I was saying to him, I was right. But as clearly as you hear me speaking again, God spoke to me in that moment. He said, yeah, you were right, but were you kind? As right as I was, it was negated by my pride, by my insensitivity. Yeah, you could be right, but are you kind? Remember that. This thing. So you may be right, but remember to be kind. It says, it is not rude. It's courteous and discreet. It can keep secrets, and you don't have to bring up some of those things that you feel tempted to pull out of your bag. It's not self-seeking. Again, it's not all about me and my feelings, my hurts. What happened to me when I was a kid? They gave you all the attention. Grow up and get over it. Love gets over it itself. Love helps you get over yourself. Am I helping anyone today? Do I still have any friends in the room? It is not easily angered. I'm not ready to argue over the slightest disagreement. You're not willing to fight over the slightest, you know, drop of the hat. Now, personally, if you know anything about my personality, this is this this is tough for me. It keeps no record of wrongs. I was the guy in high school. You do me wrong. okay? you might get away with it in that moment. But I will remember one day, six months from now, we'll be at a party. You'll be dancing. I will come up behind you (laughs) while you are not looking. Do You understand what I'm saying? You say you didn't know that about your bishop, right? Yeah, you had a gun the first time, but this time. In a different, I, I will wait. You see, some of y'all, y'all laughing, but you're the same way. Someone will do you wrong. Okay. Uh-huh. You put that right down there. The next thing is you pile it up on top. Mm-hmm. Then, then you got a full bag. And then they do something. You dump out that entire bag of everything they ever did wrong. You, you lay out. And you feel totally justified. Totally knocking the person down to, to just totally annihilating. The individual. For me, one of my greatest challenges. Now you say, what type of, see, listen, y'all know me in the church. You see, I have a grace to pastor. I can forgive folk in the church because I'm a pastor. You see, I don't have a special grace when I'm in my house. I'm not pastor. I'm daddy. I'm husband. I'm brother. And I got to deal with things just like you and I. And each of us have personality bents. And when my particular bent, I can remember Certain things and then bring them up at the 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 opportune time as far as, you know, my flesh is concerned. But the Bible says if I want to grow and if I want to be like Christ, because you see, I don't see Jesus bringing up my sins every every couple weeks. Bible says he puts them as far as the east is from the west and into the sea of what? Forgetfulness. So if Jesus can do that, how much more should I extend myself and stress myself to make sure I'm like Mind it. Then it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the what? This is interesting. Even love cannot rejoice when the truth is denied. Truth doesn't play games. Truth is honest, but it speaks the truth, the Bible says, in love. So we're to be truthful, but our motivation is to be loving. We're to be truthful, but we're not to be petty with our truths. We are to use the truth as a scalpel to cut, to help, and to heal but never as a knife to stab and to harm and to hurt. We must be careful over this holiday season. 
those of you armed with the word of God. Do not use it to injure. Only use it to what? Heal. He goes on and says it always. Does it say sometimes? It always protects. Literally in the Greek, the term there is cover, almost hide. In other words, remember Noah's sons? Noah was drunk. Now we're never to be what? Drunk with wine. The Bible's clear. Some of us may choose to drink. Others of you don't touch the stuff. It's dangerous to you. It will kill you. But some of you may drink. But the Bible says we are not to be ever drunk, never out of control, or never under the influence of anything but God's Spirit and His Word. Are you tracking with me? You are listening to the Live Big Broadcast with Dr. Derek Greer. We pray that you are inspired to think big, do big, and live big. Our goal is to compel you to live in a way that overflows and blesses those around you. Find out more about this broadcast, Grace Church, and Dr. Greer at gracechurchva.org. Dr. Greer and his wife, Pastor Yermitu, invite you to meet them at Grace Church in Dumfries, Virginia for vibrant worship, Bible teaching, and fellowship each Sunday and Wednesday. Click gracechurchva.org for service times, directions, and much more. Again, that's gracechurchva.org. This has been Live Big with Dr. Derek Greer. Watch the Live Big broadcast Monday through Friday and every Sunday. Check your local TV listings or visit gracechurchva.org for the broadcast schedule. That's all the time we have. But until next time, remember, you have what it takes in Christ to live big. God wants you to live a life bigger than yourself, inspired by the vision he has for you. Sometimes we get stuck on our journey. We know something needs to change, but we don't know what or how. The question we must ask ourselves is, how do I break free from these limitations? To help you identify where you are on your journey to living big, Dr. Derek Greer has developed an assessment tool to reveal where you're stuck. Based on your individual results, this tool will identify the barriers keeping you from moving forward. Once you complete this free assessment, you'll be able to claim free a copy of Dr. Greer's brand new book, 120 Minutes to Live Big. To get started, visit canilivebig.com today.